morning and welcome. Again, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page 12 if you have one, if you are following along at home. Uh, we do have an electronic version online, or you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Uh, and if you're new to Christian faith, just go all the way to the end, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading uh, from verse 7 through verse 13. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we sit under these words, uh, we come to this time, and I recognize that as we come here, we do come from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us come here and we are full of energy and life and joy. Others of us come here and we are hanging on, it seems, just by a thread. Lord, some of us come here in a season of great blessing. Others of us are here in profound crisis. Some of us come here with joy. Of us, others of us bear uh, incredible grief. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us gather here believing in you, uh, looking forward to what it is that you will say to us in the words uh, that we've read this morning. Others of us come here and we are uh, beyond skeptical of you. Some of us are here and are even cynical. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here in celebration or in sadness, whether we are here believing in you or doubting you profoundly, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters most, that we do ultimately come the same. Uh, we all come with a profound and overwhelming need uh, for new life, to be changed by you, uh, for these words to do something uh, in reality, to, to overwhelm us, to change our uh, perspective, to give us uh, spiritual eyes to see. And so I pray that you would do that this morning in these words and in the sacrament to follow. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome here to Ironworks Church. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, so I am actually wrapping up my portion of the letters to the churches in Revelation that we are doing in our sermon series that we are calling The End of the World as We Know It. And I love that REM song, and it actually expresses my desire for you. If you're wondering what do I want you to, to gain out of this time this morning, I really want you to to become like Michael Stipes here, right? I want the, you to face the end of the world and feel fine, right? That is actually my desire, is that you can face the end of the world as we know it and feel fine. 
It's very simple. If you don't remember anything else from this message, say that's the word of Christ for me this morning is that I want to be able to face the end of the world and feel fine. And I'm joking just a little bit. Um, uh, it's actually, it actually does represent the genuine desire I have, which is for you to be able to walk through trial uh, and still know and experience the power of Christ and the joy of the Lord, right? That is much of what the New Testament is concerned about, and it's much of what the book of Revelation is concerned about. So I'll be preaching this letter today. Uh, this is a special letter uh, because it is to uh, the church of Philadelphia, and I was asking myself this question, you know, what, is, what would Christ say if, if he were you know, if, if John was bringing us a word today, John went to the island of Patmos and he comes back and he's like, all right, I've got a message for the church in Westchester. I've got a message for the church in Phoenixville. Well, today we actually have a message to the church in Philadelphia, which is, of course, our region. So, you know, who knows, right? Perhaps, uh, perhaps this is what was in uh, the, the intention of Christ, thinking specifically of our region. I don't know. You can, you can, decide what you think about that. So what is the message of Christ today, right? In this particular moment that we face uh, globally as a world, right, where we are, uh, and then also in the moments that you are facing individually, personally, and in your families, what is the word of Christ to you today? Well, I'm going to tell you the simple point of my message, and then I'm going to walk through the passage trying to expound it. Uh, The simple message of Christ for you today the, the, the word of Christ in this day and time is to endure, All right? The basic premise behind my sermon today is that endurance is something that is underrated in this day and time, All right? That the word of Christ, very simply, I'm just going to give you my main point and then try to expound upon it, try to show it to you in the passage. But the main idea, the word of Christ, Lord Jesus Christ is sharing with the church in Philadelphia Right, of course, that was originally in Asia Minor, uh, not in, you know, America. But his simple message is, dear church, dear, dear my followers, my message for you is to continue to endure. It's a simple idea. And what I want to do is I want to walk through the passage just expounding upon that a little bit. Um, I'll tell you that as we get into it, as I was reflecting on this very simple exhortation, it occurred to me that one of the casualties of coronavirus, right, one of the realities of the, the global circumstance we find ourselves in, is that it seems as though the church is experiencing uh, a falling away such that I've never seen in my entire career. Right, so uh, during the coronavirus, of course, uh, it, back in July of 2020, it said one in three Christians have stopped attending church, and that includes virtually and physically, right? That the coronavirus, of course, you know, shut everything down, and, and we all know that. We've talked about that a lot. But part of what I think is happening and what I've seen in my little slice of the world and what, you know, I've been observing in the news, and, you know, if you know me, you know that I despise social media. There's one exception to that, and that is Twitter, because I can go on there. I don't know anyone on there, but I get to, like, listen in on conversations, so I appreciate that, um, if you're going to be on social media, you might consider that your, your platform of choice and just be kind of anonymous, right? And one of the things, I sat in on a conversation on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and it was someone relating how <clears throat> through the coronavirus, uh, they've stopped attending church, first out of concern for the virus, and then second out of hurt that they felt from the church, right? Which, by the way, as pastor, when someone says, I feel hurt by the church, by 
quote unquote, the church, right? We all know what that means. It means that you're, you're hurt by the decisions of leaders, right? So it's okay to say that, you know, I'm hurt by your decisions. I prefer that over the church. Like, you know, you're hurt by like my son who's nine. Like, what did he do? <laughs> He's just a little guy. Right? So, it's, you know, if you're saying I'm hurt by the church, right, that's typically code for the leadership. And that's okay. You know, as leaders, that's what we sign up for. Uh, and in this thread, there was voice after voice after voice saying, I haven't attended in a year and a half and I'm not going back. You know, some folks were saying because it's unsafe, but a lot of folks were saying, even if it is safe, I'm so hurt that I don't want to go back. Right? So that's thread number one. There's, there's a profound, there's all kinds of hurt. And I've, and I've been able to talk to folks about that even personally in my little sphere of the world, right? I, I, secondly, though, I do want to tell you that I've actually experienced it. Not, not really much in Ironworks. Like, Ironworks has been spared this to a large extent, not totally. Like, I have had conversations where folks have expressed this to me. Um, but to a lesser degree than in other contexts. Uh, but I've experienced it myself in other church contexts. I've experienced it in uh, the co community that pastors are part of called Presbytery. Uh, there was a season in my life where uh, I felt very hurt and very angry um, towards the Presbytery, right? <laughs> which is just like, which is funny because, you know, it, uh, just similar to the church, right? It changes every month, right? New, new people come in, new people leave. And so by the time I finally processed what I was feeling, the group of people had like changed by about 50%, right? And so I, I've been able to kind of walk through that process myself. So that's thread number one, right? People are walking away, at least from the church. Uh, but what I'm noticing is, is that as people walk away from the church, right, what happens is in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, those same folks will eventually uh, deny Jesus himself, Right? They, will, they will cease to pray, they will cease to read scripture, they will cease to worship, they will uh, compromise in living the life that he has clearly laid out in scripture, they will embrace all kinds of things that uh, have been contrary to church teaching for a long time, uh, and they fall away. So that's thread number one. The second thread is what's called deconstruction. Right? So deconstruction is this kind of process that really is, is not entirely separated from what I described, where people go through what's kind of like a deconversion, right? So when someone converts to Christian faith, they say, wow, my thinking about life and the world and God has changed dramatically. So I used to think that there was no God and I was kind of the ruler of my life to now I think that there is a God and he's in control and if I pray to him, he will help me and I can bring my burdens to him and he will engage and he is sovereign over all the affairs of life, which means that I can pray to him in confidence and, you know, I want to worship uh, and put everything at his feet and I want to find community in amongst a broken community of people called the church. That's conversion. Deconversion is basically the opposite, right? Where you're saying, I used to find life in the church. I used to find life in God. And now I realize that that's not true, right? And again, the first thing that happens is a person stops attending church, right? The second thing that happens is they stop kind of living out the life that, that God prescribes in the scripture. And then the third thing they do, oftentimes, is that they begin to evangelize other people to do the same thing, right? So some examples, of course, um, a man by the name of Joshua Harris, right, who's someone that, you know, I read about 20 years ago, right? And he stopped, you know, stops believing in God. And now he's, you know, putting out these videos, basically advising people to follow his path, more or less, right? Right? Um, <clears throat> 
One of, our, one of my favorite songwriters, uh, Dustin Kensrue, recently found out that you know, we sing a bunch of his songs on Sunday, right? And I recently found out that he has walked a similar path, right? That he's been through kind of, he was through a very horrific church situation. Uh, and uh, after that situation passed, at some point in time, he began to deconstruct his faith and to say, you know, uh, I abandoned all of these principles that I used to, you know, hold dearly and even used to sing about. So friends, um, and I, I want to tell you that, you know, as I preach this word this morning, right, that I do so actually with a very real pastoral concern for you. Then there, there's, you know, people ask me after church, they're like, were you preaching about me? And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'll be honest and I'll be like, yes, or no, I wasn't, not this time, but I, you know, <laughs> right. But I will tell you that every time I preach, there always are specific people that uh, are, in my mind, right? I just, that's what a good pastor does. A pastor like talks to people um, and then brings those concerns before the Lord as he considers the scriptures that are presented. And I'll tell you that there are, um, there's a handful of folks in my mind that I, that I have real pastoral concern for falling away, right? And um, if you're wondering if I'm talking about you, don't ask me after church. You'll just have to wonder. But um, yeah, I, I have, a, I have a, a real pastoral concern for that. And so as I you know, was scheduled to preach on this passage and was preparing for it, I'm doing so with a personal concern in mind. So that's where we are. Uh, this is not theory. This is not you know, pie in the sky. This is real life for us here in our community this morning. So let's walk through it together. Uh, let me just, I'm just going to go sequentially through these verses here. The first thing I want to point out in verse 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the King of David, who opens and no one will, sh- no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Uh, the first thing that I want to observe in this passage, it's interesting how Jesus describes himself to each church, right? He does so with a little bit different flavor. Uh, and in this church, and in this language, you know, it really seems as though, uh, the prophet Isaiah was probably something that was uh, clear in the consciousness of uh, our Lord Jesus and in uh, John as he's writing. Because he got, the way that God would identify himself in the prophet Isaiah, right? If you read back there, which is one, probably my favorite prophet, he would say, thus says the Holy One of Israel, Right? Thus says him who created you, who's called you. The Holy One of Israel is his name. And the Lord Jesus adopts this identity. And friends, you know, I was having a conversation uh, recently on, you know, the value of believing in what Christians call the Trinitarian God. Right? Does it matter whether you affirm what the church has affirmed for thousands of years that there is one God in three persons who are of the same substance, right, equal in power and glory, is it matter if you believe that, right? And, and I was having this conversation with someone about this, and it's interesting to me that as the Lord Jesus opens these words, he identifies himself saying, I'm the one who was speaking in the prophet Isaiah, right? Isaiah was wondering, who, who is this God who dwells in a high and holy place but draws near to those who are crushed in spirit? Who is the Holy One of Israel? Who's the one that called you, created you? And Jesus is saying, I'm the one. I'm the one that was speaking to you. But it's interesting because then he goes on uh, to use this language. He says, and I'm the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. And it's actually a direct quote from Isaiah 22, 22, 
this, is, this is how it reads in um, the ESV. And it says, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one will open. And so what Jesus is doing there, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm the one who controls the destiny of the king of David, right? So in the, again, in the prophet Isaiah, big time prophecy, right? I will always have someone on David's throne. I will, always, I will raise up a son out of the line of David to be the Messiah, to be the savior of Israel. And Jesus is, again, identifying himself as that person, right? So he identifies himself as God, the Father. He identifies himself as God, the Son. Uh, there is this heavy Trinitarian um, sense going on in here. But the next way he identifies himself, and I'm going a little bit out of order here, is he identifies himself as the true one. So he says first, I am the holy one. I'm the one who spoke through Isaiah. He says, secondly, I'm the one who is the son of David. But then, and again, I'm out of order a little bit, but he says, I am the true one. And friends, I want to I really emphasize this to you this morning because what's happening here is that why does he identify himself as the true one? Well, the reason I think he does is he's contrasting his words uh, with a character that will appear in verse 9, right? right? In verse 9, he talks about the synagogue of Satan. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, the person of Satan recently, right? It's been a, a topic of interest to me, studying about, you know, the way that Satan works, his, his tools, his means, what he does, and it's interesting because we don't know a great deal about Satan, but what's one thing that we do know about him? What's like his main strategy and activity? If he's going to wreck your life as he loves to do, that's what the New Testament tells us. He's, he's at work in your life to, to destroy it, right? And, and again, what does he want more than anything, arguably? Answer, he wants you to fall away, which is opposite of what Jesus is exhorting you here this morning. How does he do it? How does Satan work in a person's life to get them to fall away? Well, one of the main tools in his toolbox, one of his main strategies, one of the ways that he's successful so frequently is that he uses lies, right? Satan has been a liar from the beginning. He is the great deceiver. That's the main strategy of Satan, right? If you want to understand how is it that these folks who wrote these songs that are so amazing, right? And it's true, by the way, of the old hymns. One of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Right, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Right, one of the greatest hymns of all time, that man actually fell away from the Lord. Right, it's not just modern hymn writers, it's ancient ones as well. So how does Satan do it? And the answer is that he uses lies to deceive. He teaches you to embrace a lie, and then that lie bears fruit over time, culminating in our own destruction. And so Jesus is eager to identify himself um, as someone who can be trusted, as someone who is true, right? So that's, Jesus is eager to identify himself. The second thing that he does, which is so helpful, is he wants to assure the people to whom he's writing of the certainty of blessing that is theirs. So let's uh, read with me in verse eight. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. What Jesus is doing here is he's emphasizing the fact that there is blessing coming for this people, right? And, and, and perhaps, my friends, this is the, one of the best ways to teach you to endure 
Uh, as you will likewise go through your own trials, as you will likewise face the activity of Satan as he seeks to lie and deceive you. Uh, what Jesus wants to say to you and what he says to these folks uh, whom he's writing to originally is he's saying, I want to tell you that as you are living amongst the synagogue of Satan, as you are receiving uh, the trial that is coming upon you, or as you are being lied to day in and day out, as you are facing all kinds of temptations, uh, as you are wrestling with whether to deconstruct your faith, he wants to tell you, listen, the door is open to you and no one can shut it. You're, that the time of your trial, the time of your suffering will come to an end. You know, I was thinking about um, the way that this is expressed in other New Testament authors, um, and it's actually an emphasis uh, in a few different places. So Peter says, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.10, he says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, these, these authors they look at the, uh, the call to endure and they say, this is what you are called, this is, this is what the Christian life is about. God has called you to walk through trials. He's called you to walk through all kinds of lies, swing around your head. He's called to walk through hardship. He's, you're called to walk through loss. And, and the call of God is to endure and not to give up, not to deconstruct, not to fall away. And he characterizes it as, you know, again, in air quotes, it's, it's for a little while. And friends, I want to tell you that pastorally, right? Like, I don't know where each of you are, right? Some of you, you know, invite me into your lives to, to pray for you and you share with me, and I, that's great. And, and others of you are, don't want to do that, that's okay too, right? But wherever you are, wherever, whatever you're facing, the word of Christ to you this morning is, your trial is for a little while, and it will come to an end. And it's, you know, it's interesting in the case of this uh, church here this morning uh, to, to the original recipients of this letter. If you look what he says in verse 10, this is what he says. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, right? Because you have been enduring, he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that's referring to. There's a lot of opinions about it, right? A lot of different opinions about what exactly that's referring to, but I think the principle is clear. And that what Christ is saying to this church is he's saying, you've endured a lot, but I'm going to make it to come to an end quickly, and I'm going to spare you from the next season of it. Isn't that a good news? Isn't that a, isn't that a word of grace to you this morning? He's saying, I am going to reward and bless your endurance. And friends, you know, I think about that, and I think about all the temptations and all the hurt and grief um, and all the lies of Satan, you know, and I was thinking, I was reading this Twitter conversation between folks, and I will tell you that, I, again, I didn't know really anyone except one person on this thread is someone I'm a little bit familiar with, and, you know, I'm reading comment after comment of, I'm not going back to church, I'm hurt by the church, I'm, you know, church failed me in this way, and all these stories, and my heart broke because I know that there's probably a lot of truth to it. Right? As folks have shared with me their stories, I, I often will say, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. I appreciate that. You know, and, and, and that's most of the time in what I would call like ordinary community life. There's also stories of abuse, which is like a whole nother level, right? A whole nother level that comes in where, you know, I was 
mistreated in ways that are absolutely profoundly devastating. You know, and those folks are in like, again, a whole other category. But as I read these things, I think, oh, that is, that, that is hurtful. I do appreciate that. But I'll tell you that at the end of the day, what I think as I read those things, and I see where the trajectory goes, right? I watch folks first fall away from the church, sometimes for reasons that are understandable. But then, right, fall away from God slowly and eventually deconstruct fully. And I will tell you that my heart absolutely breaks when I read those comments, right? Why? Because it is so evident, it is so profoundly obvious that this is the work of Satan. This is the work of the liar, that the word of Christ could not be more clear. He's saying, my will for you is to endure. My will for you is to walk through trial, is to walk through hardship, and to continue to follow and trust me. And so friends, um, as we consider that, as we think about that, I do hope that wherever you are, that you will give that some thought, right? We don't know that, my, my mother-in-law has this saying, she says, we don't know what's coming down the pike, do we? We don't know what's going on. We don't know, it's, you know, and it's interesting, of course, this verse talks about a trial coming on the whole world, right? Which is, uh, has some interesting echoes of our own time. We don't know what's coming down the pike. We don't know what's going on, but the word of Christ is to hold firmly to him, trusting in him, uh, and not being, uh, not given into the devil's lies. And I want to comment on that a little bit. I, I will probably have some sermons in the future on the fruit of my studies here uh, related to the evil one, but I do want to point this out. Verse 9, this is what he says. He says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, there it is again, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. I just want to point, point out a couple things from this statement here, right? The first is that this church was living amongst a group of folks who were claiming to be one thing and were actually part of a diabolical community, right? Those who say they are Jews, right? They are not claiming, you know, most of the time we're not around folks who are like, yes, I'm a Satan worshiper. Come hang out with me. Right? I remember when the internet was very new, before the internet, there was something called BBS, bulletin board system. Has anyone in this room heard of that? I knew Walt was going to say Right, so I was part of that back in um, high school, I guess it was. My dad got me a computer with a 2400 baud modem, which was awesome at the time. And I remember being on forums back in the day, and I remember, you know, being able to talk to people around the world. You know, this would have been 1992, probably. And I remember someone saying he was a Satan worshiper. And I remember writing back and saying, you're not really a Satan worshiper, are you? And he wrote back, no, I am. And let me tell you all of my practices, <laughs> right? I was a little kid at that time. Um, you know, and so on the internet, of course, you can find anyone and anything that, that does these kinds of things. But most of the time, you know, it, it does happen. Chrissy one time was um, giving a presentation to the businesses in Phoenixville over our Fall Festival Pumpkin Fest. She was saying, look, we're a church and we want to serve this community and we want to invite your help to do this. And, and there was a lady that stood up and she's like, I'm offended because I'm a member of the pagan community. And, how, and it, you know, Pumpkin Fest happens at Halloween. And she's like, and Halloween is really important to us. And we don't want a church, you know, like stealing our holiday. <laughs> so it happens in Phoenixville, right? But I'll tell you, that's, that's pretty rare, right? Most of the time, you're not going to hear from a member of the pagan community, Right? 
I, I don't think it's happened. That was probably about seven, eight years ago. I don't think it's happened since. We haven't really had any, any conversations here, but it does happen, right? Um, but what's more normal, what's more normal is that uh, there are satanic forces that hide being misidentified, right? That's what this passage says. The synagogue of Satan who says that they are Jews but are not, right? That's just the, the, the way Satan works. He, he's the, always deceiving, right? When this woman stood up and was like, you know, we hate that your church wants to like do anything on our holiday, right? That was very obvious, like, okay, wow, this is a new experience, right? But most of the time, he says, your exposure to diabolical forces are not like that. They're far more hidden, right? They're a group of folks who say they are one thing, but they're really the opposite. They say they're uh, the synagogue, they're, they're of the Jews, but they're really of Satan. And so, friends, I want to tell you that, you know, part of how you endure is that you recognize what the New Testament is so eager for you to receive, which is that you conduct your lives in the presence of evil. Right? That, is, that is what I, you know, as you, as you think about, you know, how am I going to endure? In your mind, I can tell you, and I've watched people walk through this. I've watched people underestimate evil. It's something, it's a weakness of our tradition, right? The Pentecostals down the hall, they have other issues. They don't have this issue, right? I've watched people underestimate evil, and then I've watched it sneak up and surprise them in all kinds of ways that are unexpected, right? And how should we expect it to work? Answer, we should expect to be lied to and without the power and the presence of Christ, without the means that he's prescribed, we will succumb to it. We will fall to it, right? And so what, what Christ is saying to this church is he's saying, listen, I want you to trust in me and I want you to endure as you have been and I will bring your suffering to an end. I will bring, uh, I will spare you from even more. And you know, one of the verses that's been so precious to me in this season myself uh, is from the prophet Joel, right? When you, go through, when you go through a season of difficulty, when you go through a season of grief, when you go through a season of trial and testing, right? One of the things that's helped me endure more than anything else is the prophet Joel that speaks to the character of God where he says, the Lord restores the years that the locusts have eaten, right? That as you're walking through these trials, wondering like, am I going to keep going or am I going to give in? Uh, the verse that's been most helpful to me is the Lord saying, I will restore these things. I will restore you. And what I want to do is I want to just close by um, giving you one more verse to look at in the letter of the Hebrews. So, uh, author of Hebrews has the same goal in mind. His people are in danger of giving in they're in danger of, of losing their confession of faith. They're in danger of deconstruction in their own way. And this is what the author says, how you can endure. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And then here's the key phrase. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross while despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And friends, I'll tell you that uh, in the scriptures, uh, as Jesus calls us to hard things, right, as he calls us to walk through situations that are filled with evil, as he calls us to walk through uh, 
not knowing how it's going to end, as he calls you to walk through trials, as he calls you to walk through hardship, as he calls you to walk through grief, he doesn't do that from an ivory tower, but he does that having to have walked through it himself. Right? That's why the author of the Hebrews says, look to Jesus who is the picture of endurance. Right? Who, who described his calling as an hour of darkness. Right? Who had to walk with Satan through the deepest, most darkest moments in all of human history. Who had to bear the weight of the world. Who had to have his father turn his face away from him. Had to, had to live in the most profound loneliness that can possibly be imagined on that cross. Who had to lose his body who had to have friendships and relationships severed, who had to lose all these things, right? Who knows your weakness, who knows your trial, who knows what you're going through, who knows the temptations that you face. He walked through all of those things and the scripture, those who came before us, those wiser than us say, look to him, right? Look to him who walked because of joy that was set before him. And that is, that is my hope for you this morning. Right, whatever this season, whatever the next season brings for you, that the, this table, that the promise of an end to your suffering, an end to your trials, that the presence of Christ will be real in that to sustain you so that you won't fall away, you won't deconstruct, you won't allow the lies of the devil to win. So I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to come to this table to drink deeply into your souls the love of Christ, the commitment of Christ to you. The one who said, I will endure all things for your sake. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and we worship you, Holy Spirit. And we pray, oh God, uh, that you would be real to us in this table. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from falling away. We pray that Satan would be exposed for his lies. Lord, we pray that you would restore the years the locusts have eaten in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you please stand as we approach this table? Dear Ironworks Church, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Yes, Lord, it is right. It is good to give you thanks and praise. For you have loved us with a never-ending love. You have endured the cross with the joy that was set before you, yet while despising its shame. And God, I pray that we would be able to follow you likewise, that we would endure the trials that are set before us because of the joy that is coming. Give us grace to do this, we pray. Uh, and as, as we do pray, we do want to join our voices with all the company of heaven in their unending hymn of praise. Let's sing together.